From the backwoods and the swamp waters of the Sunshine State and all across America and the world, this is the Big and Wild Outdoors with your host, Braden Gunn, Jonathan Swindle, and Bill George. Mike's on. All right, here we go. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors. <laughs> you know, it's a shame when Steve comes to the studio, we have to make that announcement before we go back on. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors. Hour number three, uh, Braden Gunn, John Swindle, Vince Noble, Bill George, and the legendary Steve Austin has decided to you come know, by. I've never said that. I don't know why you keep saying it. People think, that guy's got an ego. Who does? Everybody that listens. I don't, we I don't describe everybody in this you, business is, has to have an see, ego. I describe you as legendary Steve Austin. Not yourself. You don't ever go I tell in. people you're an award, a CMA award-winning uh, co-host, show I host. I don't walk around doing that. Neither no, do you. You're a humble guy. Not everybody knows him as Steve Austin. He's had... How many Bill, aliens? shut your mouth. Everybody He's, knows Steve Austin. Steve Austin. Not everybody knows him as Bill. Get out the room. He can be Jack Strap too to a lot of uh, generational people. Yeah, yeah, Jack, Jack Strap. That's <laughs> the one I'm most proud of. Yeah, Jack Strap, and back in the day, uh, you know. And since you're a big uh, long term, long term uh, legendary deer hunter as well, oh, uh, I got a opening day today, of course, for archery season, archery season in Zone C. Yeah. So. I, I got to ask you this because this gentleman wrote this article. Um, his name is Will Brantley. He wrote this article for uh, Will Field. Will Brantley? Yeah. I don't know him. He uh, wrote a, an article and he said <clears throat> he gave his opinion on the best advice ever for deer hunters. And, well, am I supposed to know? And which made me think. And Quiet, uh, quiet, and quiet. Okay. <laughs> so uh, what, what would you say, uh, Bill George? What would be the best advice you could give to deer hunters? Stay awake. Okay, Vince. No fragrance. Who? No fragrance. No smells. Oh, no. Did you describe it as fragrance? Yes, oh, yes. Did, go ahead and uh, wear some vanilla lace. You'll be, you'll be. Yeah, yeah man. No fra- No, no smelly deodorants. No colognes. No, it's a fragrance. Yes, we can use big words in the big and wild. Yeah. The words like fragrance. Yeah, why not? What's what wrong are with you fragrance? St- what are you doing standing at the at the <laughs> perfume counter at Moss Brothers? Are they even still exist? That's no. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> He's got a side job at Dillard's. The fragrance of uh, of the hunt. You know what I mean? I mean? All right. No odors. Don't stink. Don't smell pretty. What do you want me to Don't say? Don't be all up in there stinking. Jonathan. <laughs> right? Oh. I'm sorry. Uh, sit still. Yeah, thanks for looking over to the cheat sheet, <laughs> my son. His hey. best advice was to sit blanking still. That uh, for most hunters... And the first person I read the article that I thought of was not just myself, but also Steve Austin. Because Steve loves to tell the story about how uh, he describes people who go out of the woods. He said, I think a lot of people that hunt today and deer hunt today are not true woodsmen. They are just guys who go out and sit in a tree stand or do whatever and uh, watch their phones, have their earbuds in, they're texting back and forth. They're not true woodsmen. He said they're the kind of guys who, when you walk through the woods, seem to be able to pick out the driest, loudest, snappiest twigs to step on, which instantly reminded me of Steve Austin, because Steve Austin used I to stepped love on every twig, <laughs> because he used to love to tell the story about how walking with his father, when his dad was teaching him back in the day, and his dad stopped one time and said, "What? 
Well, he was up on the side of a mountain in Tennessee, and it's you know it's dry, so every step's and he he's sitting right at the top of the hill under a tree, and I get up there, I'm about ten feet from him, and he goes, "Go all the way back down. There's one limb you missed on the way up." <laughs> Which I mean, when I when I ever hear somebody like even in my in the woods, if I'm walking and I step on a twig, I instantly go back to that story because yeah. my father did the same thing. We we're walking through the woods, squirrel hunting, and I step on something. And it's and you want to freeze the woods, walking through, heel to toe, nice and quiet. Pick up your feet, and then all of a sudden, from behind me on my feet, as you're walking, you hear, and it'll stop everything. And the father usually, as mine did, turns around and goes, did you not see that? And you go, Dad, I'm sorry, I was watching your feet. Don't watch my feet, watch your feet. And my daughter, I was walking up in Pennsylvania turkey hunting with her, and she kept walking right down the gravel rut in the road, and you hear those rocks just clicking and grinding. (laughs) And I'm like, listen, could you just walk? right here on the edge where it's grassy and that she's like why i says because it makes so much noise and it was it was that season a little bit later on i had her on a setup and the turkeys were coming in and she heard the turkeys walking on the gravel road uh-huh. before she saw them come up over the lip of lesson the hill. learned wow well, now, well, right. but i was gonna i was gonna add to this because his big advice was sit still you know, quit moving around. These people that are up there and uh, watching the football game and, you know, getting excited, all that stuff. You're, that reason, one of the reasons why you're not seeing anything. But when I read the article, it said, you know, sit blanking still. Yeah. I, I also referred to the, I said, not only do you need to sit still, you need to be still. And I mean, in your mind, in what you do, in your movements, all that kind of stuff. You got to have that attitude of that you're out there and that everything can see you. <laughs> so, well, and I'm you not, might be making a noise that's not in nature, and as soon as they hear something out of the ordinary, phone ringing, lighter clicking, closed—I mean, whatever—they know that's not out there. In Anytime, the a snap cap, Velcro—you know, anything like that. What was the one story Michael Waddell always loved to tell? Where you know, well, I mean, Mr. he has a video of it. You know, yeah. they're set up doing the show, the cameras over his shoulder, and he'd been in somewhere in Texas and hunting this big buck for two years, like a twelve point. Perfectly symmetrical, big deer, and and he's right at the corner of a fence, right where those two fences meet. And he goes, always oh, comes up through here every morning. Should be here in a little while. And sure enough, here comes that buck creeping, and he's watching because you know he's been hunted hard. And and that deer's looking everywhere, and he's got a bow, and he's raising it up, and hits that metal arm, ting. And as soon as he did, that deer. <laughs> Like Flatter. a rocket ship, <laughs> you know. You don't, you don't get to be a twelve point and get that big by being stupid. No, and and you, you know you don't think it's nothing. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times that if I've moved my gun around or something, I hit that little tink on there, and you just freeze, and you start looking around like, oh crap! And you did know, anything the wood, here? Woods that? got quiet all of a sudden. Yeah, it's like did anything? Did anything hear that besides me? Yeah. Oh my god! It, it just the echoes. crickets start chirping. I mean everything. Uh, the one of the greatest lines that he said was in the story was it we're talking about the same people who believe that they can that a deer a hundred yards away can hear your grunt call, but yet somehow or another they can't hear you in your conversation on the telephone. Yeah. So, so it's like You, you know, know what, if you need to be on the phone, all that crap, just don't go hunting. Don't be in the woods I with was me. Just gonna yeah. say that. Don't go. Well, and I think that's part of the, the thing that I was trying to get to when I said not only 
sit still, but be still. Be still. Enjoy the moment. Be in the moment. Be part of nature. You know, look around. See what's going on in the world. And quiet your mind down. That's the best People time to do that. People don't know how to do that anymore. We, we, were, we were in Georgia, man, up there in southern Georgia where all the cotton and peanuts is. I don't even know the name of that town now. Went with some other friends who I won't mention. And uh, I had Ryan with me. And we're sitting in a, like a double tree stand. And here it is just getting light. And I can see that phone from three miles. He's sitting right next to me lighting up the whole area, <laughs> just doing something on it. And I said, let me have your phone for a second. He goes, why? And I said, hand it to me. And he did. And I drop it right out of the tree stand. I said, <laughs> now we can hunt. <laughs> and he's got the, what, 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 what are you doing? Well, Dad, you should have got the case. Now it's going to be all dirty. Because I'm, I'm not telling him twice. I told him to put the phone up. And, and you don't realize that. I remember That's one a beautiful t- thing. One of the greatest ones um, out in the woods of hunting with some friends of mine across the field, same scenario. It's amazing how far you can see a cigarette Oh yeah. Once they take a drag on it. it. But uh, but the thing is you don't see it while it's sitting there, but as soon as they take a drag on it, it's this ginormous flare that goes off across the field. But and he, you're like, Well, what snipers the hell? have used that as a target many, many times. I'm telling you. But he hit the head though, the smell, because I've been out fishing. I'm like, Who the hell where's that coming from? Yeah, yeah. but you know what? There's a boat way and you can smell I, I don't, I don't realize. I, I I've always been one of those people. I I know too many people who've killed deer while they're right halfway through a Marlboro. Leaned up against yeah. a tree with a white T-shirt on and kill the hell out of deer I, every time they go out. I'm glad you mentioned that because I got a buddy, Mike Vance, I grew up with in Tennessee. He's a zinc miner. Boys worked hard all of his life. And you go to his little house, nothing fancy, and in the basement are about 20 of the biggest bucks I've ever mm-hmm. seen. <laughs> the walls are covered with them. Wow. And I said, I said, what do you wear? And he goes, ah, just a shirt and jeans. and boots, Whatever I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, do you? because he smokes like he's on fire. I said, do you smoke in a stand? He goes, why wouldn't I? It's just something they're used to smelling. And he's got the biggest deer. I mean, you would love to have this collection. Oh, I know. Uh, monster bucks. Gino and I used to hunt with a uh, friend of ours, Tom, in the neighborhood. He was a big Marlboro smoker. He'd be leaned up against a tree with his uh, little Remington Model 7 308. Kill a deer. Going through those Marlboros like uh, they ain't making <laughs> anymore. And well, I got a... You know, maybe a green or a white T-shirt on, blue jeans and some tennis shoes on. Next thing you know, you're hearing... Yeah, got another one. Oh, and you're like, oh man, he must have missed, you know. And then you walk over, no, there's two dead. There's two dead. There, there was a deer there. I was watching this pig, and a deer came out, and I shot them both. So yeah. it was like, what the? <laughs> the pigs Meanwhile, really got a nose. Yeah, hogs. Now hogs will give you the little, you yeah. know, they give you that kind of up and the ears up, and they'll look around. But if it doesn't move, they kind of go like, oh. Okay, I'll was go that back. something I need to be afraid of? I'll go of? back and start chewing again. And then give oh, you the second smart. look. Uh, there were a few times we were hunting at Buck Fuller's place where they'd walk out and you'd see that nose in the air. Well, I had that one that time, and I, I wish I'd have got it on video, that backed his butt out to the corn. It was probably, hog was probably 60 pounds. He wasn't huge. <laughs> And he, instead of just walking out and getting shot in the head like he'd seen somebody do twenty times, he exactly <laughs> he, he, he backed his ass he backed his ass out of out of out of the woods right up to the corn like if you're gonna shoot me right there yeah and he lay there a minute and then he kind of push yourself around get a mouthful of corn run back in the bushes and five minutes later he's doing it again out. wait for it yeah. wait for it I'm gonna back up you're not gonna shoot the ham you know you know you gotta be smart though because he's seen hogs get shot in the head and he's thinking. 
I ain't walking out there. I'm going to stick my butt out there and shoot me. Shoot me in the butt. That won't kill me. Give him a Texas hard shot. Nobody wants to take that one. (laughs) But I was a smart little pig, you know, about 60 pounds, probably that old. Yeah, he probably made it about another two weeks before he went in the cooler somewhere. Yeah, before somebody just decided to go ahead and pop him. I didn't shoot him. Yeah, let that boy go. And then uh, next thing you know, he's in a cooler somewhere. Well, I always just thought that um, my dad, the biggest thing with my dad, and I'm sure everybody else is in here, was was movement. That was the big thing. Wasn't really stink. We never worried about fragrances or any of that other stuff. We just movement is the thing that that gets the attention. Whether it be turkeys, whether it be squirrels, whether it be uh, deer, hogs, whatever it is, movement is the key. Let's talk about what wine to have with the hog fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I need, I need something. I need something <laughs> robust yet delicate. <laughs> I would think. Am so. I wrong though? I mean, you don't want to have no, strong right. smells, right? Well, there's a lot. You there, got a lot of things out there now that they use the smells actually as an attractant. There's a huge. There's a huge. This is what's funny. There's an. There's a multi-billion-dollar industry of stuff out there to keep you from stinking. That that they that for hunting, whether right. it be uh, ozone, whether it be uh, carbon-infused uh, charcoal uh, clothing. Uh, soaps, hunter specialties, spray-ons, everything else. And then there's an entire industry that, that gives you uh, something to a smell scent. like. A scent to yeah, smell I like. I want to myself with deer pee. Uh, deer pee. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> uh, you no, know, I wouldn't do I that. got such a line here. I'm, oh, I'm, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> He'll tell me when we get off the air. I mean, but it could be anything from vanilla to green apple to pecans or, Sweet you know. Sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes, any of that stuff that you can go, uh, that you want to, you know, hose yourself down with. And uh, again, uh, an industry that I'm not poo-pooing. I know people got to make money doing their thing. But my father's solution to that was bring what you're going to eat and eat it. Eat an apple. Put the scent in the air, eat an that, apple. That makes more sense if than you're in, if spraying you're, yourself. If you're in Georgia, bring a bag of peanuts and a couple of uh, things of uh, pecans because you cracking pecans up in a tree and eating them not only puts the scent out, but it also is a sound that deer are used to hearing. There's or squirrels, squirrels up in a tree. Yeah. They're up there chewing away. That's smart. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. Uh, you know, you don't have to go and bathe yourself in vanilla extract. Or, uh, you know, some sort of pine scent or something like that. Why do I have a feeling I'm not going to let... I need something (laughs) flaccid yet overbearing. It it also depends on what you're doing. Now, I mean, if you're you're going up to Illinois or like Pennsylvania, like where Bill George hunts... Why would I go there? And uh, you got the cold air. You got cold air where scent stays and it stays pretty close to the ground. It is a lot more important up there than it is to be whisking around out in the... uh, Sweaty woods of South Florida. There's there's a difference because there you do have still air or light movement, and if you know you haven't had a shower at deer camp in four or five days, then a big old buck walking through there is going to catch that scent pretty darn quick. And you know they they know that okay I've smelled that before, but that was only in the summer when Farmer Johnson was out here you know loading hay on the back of the truck, not in the middle of winter time. Well, but that's like the first time we went to Illinois. You said about going to Missouri. Steve said about Tennessee. You get with those farmers out there, and they're all about the scent control, but they'll look at you right quick and tell you they walk through their truck exhaust and all that like it's no big deal because it's just they're like what you said. That. The deer don't have that, oh, wait a minute. Alert, yeah. You know, 
Yeah. That's, that's Farmer John's truck. Never that's mind. That's diesel. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's, it's just diesel. It's no big deal. Yeah, it'll be all good. Now, you go out there smelling like, uh, you know, uh, uh, English leather, and uh, there might be a problem. <laughs> of all the things in the world you can pull out, you pulled out English leather? Yeah. Because yeah. that's Thursday nights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just go with some brood and some old spice, no, no, too? No, no, no. Dracar. Just, just that, go to Z14? Victoria's Secrets, get some vanilla lace. See? Secret, not secrets. <laughs> yeah. Victoria's Secret, whatever. Go get some Victoria's vanilla lace, secrets. put that on. Deer, deer will come to it. <laughs> Next up, we'll give you recommendations on the old FDS. All right, we're going to take a break. It is a big and wild outdoors. Brought to you by Brandon Ford. Welcome back. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors. Bring Gun, Jonathan Swindle, Vince Noble, Bill George, Steve Austin, and Slick. Put it back. All hanging, <laughs> hanging out here with you this morning. But before you get on one of your lists, I want to... I'm not ma- getting on my list. I was going to wait for you because I interrupted you when we were talking with John. So. Yes, yes. I just want to make sure, did you hear about they closed Red Grouper and I do believe it was Triggerfish. What? Did you hear that? Oh, yeah, because I target them every day. Yeah, they're so... They're, yeah, everybody goes out for Triggerfish. Yeah, 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 yeah every I'm day. Yeah. I'm putting them yep. in an aquarium. Yeah, sure. Trigger, yeah, triggerfish and Red Group were closed in uh, federal waters. And this is not because of Red Tide. This is not because of all those things. There is a catch limit on many species in the federal waters. And whenever that quota is met, fishing stops. Are these the same scientists that are going out there and getting the Goliath Grouper numbers, too? Because... The red grouper out there is plenty. Yeah. Plenty. Well, no, but it isn't that it's not plenty. There's a quota. Okay? And once you meet the quota, now the the Who's the making quota, the quota? The Gulf, Gulf Management Council. Who reports How are that? they making the quota? Yeah, how? I mean, if well, Vince goes and catches well, two, who's going to know? And they, have they been vaccinated? Yeah. <laughs> have, yeah. Are they COVID-free? Yes, no, they they set a quota, and then when fishermen report their catch via the fish apps and everything else, those quotas, and they, huh. they have landing data from commercial, they have they have Wait, different quotas. Anybody for in different this room, who has ever reported catching a grouper? Or a trigger fish. Uh, <laughs> or uh, a trigger fish. I haven't. Have you? Have you? No, but, I but they I've use, never they reported use a what I've number caught. of what the stuff that is reported to extrapolate out what that quota is. And how far along you are in the quota. So basically, so you're saying this isn't like our red tide closure where we have lots of stuff nope. not impacted nope. above management goals nope. and can't keep them. Nope. What you're That's saying all political. Is somebody got paid to go out and report what they catch so they can make a quota. That's a horseshit. Well, well, it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, you know. Yeah, I guess. Maybe for the commercial guy, but it's got to be an estimate. It's got to be a guess because, as he pointed out, you don't know how many uh, fish Jonathan caught last week or that you caught yesterday unless you're a commercially licensed person who has to report it or or, uh, do it with an app. Uh, Double G or G2, you know, he's a commercial guy. I'm sure he's got to report all those grouper and stuff that he catches. Well, But uh, for a recreational guy, how do you know? this, this This is the thing. The 2021 Triggerfish Recreational Target is 274,323 pounds. 
You'd think they'd at least round it up to like a 50 or something like that. No, 323 pounds. Well, you got to do it that way because you never know when you might just catch a 5.38-pound uh, 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 fish. So, so you know, you got to have <laughs> And that. that is whole weight. Yeah, and you got to get yeah. that three eighths part in there. So. And the sad part is, is trigger fish are actually pretty good to eat. They are good to eat. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've had them before, but I don't go out and target them and go, "Hey, let's go off uh, reef number uh, nine. My buddy, the <laughs> guy I used to go spear fishing with, we shot. He shot a couple of them, and I didn't even know you could shoot them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this is a funny thing. The trigger fish, that's a weight of a whole weight, and on the red grouper, it's a million pounds, but that's gutted weight. <laughs> <laughs> so you're leaving 1.5 million uh, pounds in guts back in the water I for the bull up. sharks to know where you are. I uh, give up. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Who uh, is this, John? John, you on the phone? That's Gino. Gino? Beaner? Sir. Bean, what are you doing? I, I just, you know, you brought up this trigger fish, and I was looking at quotas. I, I, I just, who was paying attention? Is, was there a trigger fish crisis that I missed out on? No. I, I just... No, all our species are managed differently, and in the Gulf, like the Gulf uh, Council, they turn around, there's catch limits, and there's a recreational, there's a commercial catch limit, and um, there's like a four higher catch limit sometimes on species. Depending on which sector and how they divvy that proportion up, when they reach those quotas, they shut it down. Yes, we say here's our general season, and they try and they try and set the bag limits to make sure that you can catch throughout the season. But whenever you meet that quota, it's done. It, it's turned off. But Bill, was anybody ever saying triggerfish are depleted in the Gulf of Mexico? No, but they're trying to prevent overfishing. Yeah, Gene Cock. But who goes out and goes Why wait the till there's fish? a problem, Gene? Right. Do you ever remember getting up one day and Pappy's <laughs> by you and saying? Boy, let's go slay us a bunch of croakers or spots. No. I mean, it's a bycatch, man. Yeah, you know? it, it is. I don't I don't know anybody unless, as Jonathan pointed out, you're spearfishing and you go, hey, you know, these trigger fish are pretty good. I'm gonna put a couple of them on my uh, on my stringer. Uh, I don't know anybody that gets on the boat, jumps fires up the Key West, goes three miles out to marker number nine because that's exactly this is like the trigger fish hotspot of, of heaven. Well, let's just fill the boat with them. I don't know anybody. It's all bycatch. I mean, they're good to eat, but it's like cleaning a football, man. You know? <laughs> yeah, getting through that hide is uh, kind of tough. It's uh, You, got you to... know, so, I mean, it is a good fish, but like I said, I don't ever, everything I, I, I've caught them, it, it's a bite. I've never targeted them. Nope. If I get one, I'm going to probably put it in the cooler. Sure. And then sharpen my knives. And, I mean, it's a delicious white meat, but it's. Get the saws all out. Well, you got to remember, just, you got to remember growing up around here uh, off of Whedon and everywhere else like that. Everything that we went out, I don't think we ever went out to target anything ever in our lives specifically until we got a little bit older. I know that you're a big Pompano guy. You go certain times of year when they're running and you go out there and you specifically target for Pompano. But, you know, growing up and going out and going fishing, you went to go fishing to go fishing. And whether you caught redfish or channel for sea bass or silver trout, yeah, or whiting or anything out there in the winter, in the winter time, in the winter time, yeah, yeah. Now there were times when we knew certain species where they were at certain times of the year. You know, you knew when the snook were over by Christmas Pass, or when the silver trout were out in the channels, or whitings were over in the uh, canals. I mean, uh, you know, so you did go for those things, but 
99 other time percent of the time, it was just like grab some shrimp, go down, fish the docks, go down here. You find a good spot where maybe the sheep said we're biting. You put two or three of them in the boat. Well, in February, you fish for sheephead. You didn't fish for snook in February. No. You know what I mean? Not unless it was with a gig. Well, I wouldn't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Back when it was legal, of course. Back when it was legal. I'm not talking about last week. I don't remember. I don't. Like my criminal lawyer. I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. You know. Are you kidding me? This is the guy that had the one dock on the entire canal that had a roof on it. And when he got up on the roof, especially in the wintertime, what were all those big loggy looking things that were off I the think, end of I'm pretty sure those were black drum. Oh, is that what they were? Yeah, they were black drum. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that yeah. was amazing the school that snook in there in the winter. I'm but, sorry. Did, no, you... My biggest beef is you've created triggerfish quota, which means how much money was allocated. I mean, how many people? There's probably 10 people on the triggerfish analysis board. <laughs> you know, that are getting paid now. I That's mean, what I was created, saying before. <laughs> you created a problem where there wasn't a problem. You're funding a problem that isn't a problem. I can understand the point of you want to know how many are, are, are coming out and keeping track of it, but to come up with an arbitrary number somehow... Well, uh, you've got to understand, it wasn't too long ago we had a three-day red snapper season because their their allocation of how they did things was so bad and I'll give FWC credit. FWC pushed them and said, hey, this these the signs don't add up. And, you know, we all knew there was a lot more red snapper out there, but it took a long time for the Fed, you know, that Gulf Council side, the federal side, to come around to recognizing that, hey, maybe there's a few more out there than we thought. <laughs> so, and now... You know, we have much better longer seasons, and now they were talking about not too long ago, it may be up to three times more out there than what they had original, had even thought most recently. No. Well, when you can't get through them to get to the black grouper, you got to wonder. You, you can't get I through mean? them to get to anything. Uh, you know, ask any guy. As I brought up in the meeting on the Goliath grouper, I said, do you want to know what's down there? You got the St. Pete Dive Club here. You got half the members of the St. Pete Open down here that are underwater uh, 90% of their life. Ask them what they see down there. We've said that for years. And they're, and they're, and they're all sitting there. All these uh, presidents of these dive clubs are going, dude, we literally have to go swim through the snapper to get down to the bottom. And you're never, we see fishermen, their baits never make it to the bottom. Snapper, 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 and you got to let them go. You got to let them go. Uh, it's like a, the story I told the first time we went to the Keys with me and Lori fishing, and we're going after Cabrera Snapper and everything else, and same thing you're saying. We're dropping lines, and it's like, boom. Yeah. Oh, look, this is an extinct fish. Oh, wait, here comes another extinct fish. Oh, wait, this one's extinct, too. I think you're only catching the same fish over and over, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah okay. Is. Well, <laughs> but, in all fairness now, 30 years ago, American Red Snapper were definitely in trouble. Well, that's because, that's, that's because that's because 90% of America was eating red snapper. They were plentiful. Well, I mean, everybody knows what it is. I mean, you could put a mango snapper next to it and take the filet, and people probably couldn't tell the difference. I guess it's a marketing problem. Oh. But, uh, well, it's like black and red fish, when black and red fish was all through your restaurants and everything else. Dang near just, wiped them out. Oh. Yeah. I love that. You could have taken a shoe and done the same thing with it. It's about as edible. Well, yeah, but but you know what? That was the rage, and everything had to be blackened. I mean, and now we got it to the point to where it's, you know, blackened grouper. And now, 
uh, you know, people that like grouper like it because it doesn't taste like fish, and uh, you know, they got bored with because all you do, taste is blackened. When you do blackened lionfish, uh, I would love blackened lionfish. I would like regular lionfish. Put lionfish on a stick. I don't lionfish care. Lionfish raw is great. Well, but like right there is a perfect example of it. Y'all sit there and say that. I would take redfish well, over anything just about as uh, far as for fish. Uh, dude, there's nothing uh, to me fried or grilled red, uh, like a good breadfish filet is the, I'm there. I'm, yeah. a sna- I'm a red snapper guy. The, sorry. The key thing I, I, is. But I'd, I'd rather eat a, a 15-inch redfish than a 27-inch redfish. Well, that too. All day. Yeah, me, yeah, me too. I'm good so. with that. Well, but Gino said mangrove snapper. That's my other. That's like, dude, mangrove snapper, that's Pringles potato chips right there. When you fillet them out, little zatarans and Drop them in the fryer. You're Let's drunk. Roll. If you want to lace potato chips, you got to fillet those big pinfish. Yeah. Those are delicious. Oh, that's <laughs> But I tell you what, take a uh, take a mango snapper and butterfly like a mullet and put it on the grill, scales mm-hmm. on it and everything. Mm-hmm. That's delicious, man. Oh, man, I bet. It's a, a yeah. good fish. fish it's, 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 I love mango. It's very rare that I find a fish that I don't particularly care for. Unless it's Beetle something. Fish. Unless it's something yeah. that's, yeah. Unless it's something that has names like, uh, you know, Orange Ruffy or Schwag or Schmigma or whatever it is, you know, that uh, I've asked in a restaurant, I go, what kind of fish is that you're, you know, you're thick? And they're like, oh, it's it's Swag or whatever swag that is. Swagwally or Swagwally. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not eating that. I don't know what that is. I don't even know how you catch it, so I'm done. You know, what happened to good old American cod? Can't you get a cod or a haddock or something? I think cod. it's very restricted, man. Yeah, but... So. You can't have fish and chips if it's not made with cod. Come on. Haddock's okay. What is that one? Swahili? Swahili? Schwag or something? I don't know. one that comes from Vietnam. Yeah, I don't know. That's the one. Schwag. Going back, if somebody's going to go out fishing, red group for closed, trigger fish closed. Red group will come back in January 1. Next year, Triggerfish has a two-month closure in January and February normally, so they'll come in March 1. So that means we can catch Snook and Redfish again? Oh. Gino, next week, let's go uh, Triggerfishing. You can drive up to the Panhandle and catch it. Well, you can catch them, you just can't keep them. Yeah. I got it. Gino, thanks for the call, man. We got to go. We got to take a break, brother. Thank you, man. Go have fun. It's going to be rainy. There's nothing to do but go catfishing. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors. We're brought to you by our good friends over at Brandon Ford. Go see Brooksy Hall. He's got that brand new boat to pay for. Man, did you see that thing? That thing is sweet. All right, we're going to take a fast break, you guys. We'll be right back. I'd hate to be you if she don't get away. Hey, this is Jonathan. Most of you know... Here we go. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Big and Wild Outdoors. Bring gun. Jonathan Swindle. Vince Noble. Bill George. What happened? We start talking about fishing and Steve leaves. What the? I mean, just like the sound of work. They go. Oh, 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 that's right. He's got other radio stations to run. Jim from Georgia. Jim, he's calling from Georgia. What? Is it cold up there yet, Bill George? 
Jim, how are you doing? Hey, good morning, guys. How y'all? What are you doing, McCullough? What you doing up there in GA? Man, I've, I've been living up here since about, uh, shoot, I don't know, February, March. Yeah, I know that part, but what are you doing? Is it cold up there yet? What's the temperature? Nah, it, it, right now out there it's 70. <laughs> I know uh, last, last night it got down to about 60. We're looking at uh, next week supposed to be in the mid-50s, but i tell you what, it's, uh, it's all good here, man. I miss all you guys down there. You know, but, I, uh, I got to tell you this much. According to the Farmer's Almanac, uh, the uh, northeastern parts of the United States are supposed to have a severe winter this year. Well, I tell you what, I hope we get a good cold one this year. It's, we uh, it's we haven't had a good cold winter in a long time. Yeah, the uh, the old farmers' almanac uh, talking about the winter forecast for 2022. Uh, it says that. Uh, let me go scroll down here a little bit. It says uh, they're going to look at some very large. Uh, sweeping, I guess. What did we call those things? What did they call them? Vorte- polar, polar vor- vortexes. Yeah, polar vortex. Yeah, the, the, this year is supposed to be a. Uh, yep. Uh, you know, they say they got an eighty percent accuracy rating. Uh, they're over two hundred thirty years of predicting the weather, and it's going to be cold across the country. They're actually calling for season of shivers, a painful combination hey, bring of. It on. A painful combination of above-average snowfall and below-average temperatures expected all the way uh, from New England through the parts of Appalachia region, throughout the Ohio Valley, all the way deep into the south and even into southern New Mexico. Cool. Yeah, it's good. We haven't had any good snow up in here in many, many years. It says uh, they're predicting one of the longest and coldest that they've seen in years. So be ready to bundle up. You out hunting? Well, not this morning. I'm uh, I'm gonna probably probably in the morning. I'm gonna go sit out in the morning. I got me a little honey hole down there that I uh put me a couple spy cams out, and I've been seeing a pretty decent eight pointer and a pretty decent ten pointer out there. So, but they've been coming in the dead of the afternoon too. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Good point. Now I got to ask you, as a fellow deer hunter. Uh, our buddy Carlos the Cuban Redneck sent me this link about this guy. Did you see this deer that the guy killed up in Kentucky? Two hundred eighty point, uh, two hundred eighty oh, plus yeah, inch. That, that one that just went all over the place. Yeah, fifty-seven pointer, <laughs> fifty-seven <laughs> points. Now, I would, I would probably have a heart attack. Well, now you got now the big controversy over this is is that this deer was actually was a high, yeah, it was a high fence yep. deer, but it escaped. And he shot it, what was it, two or ten miles away from where the farm was. So, so, he so is it free range or is it uh, uh, pin it, raised? And, it uh, was a free range hunt. That's what it was. Well, it was, it was pin raised, but once it hopped that fence and got out, it was just like hunting a wild deer. Yeah, he said that he was out there uh, making uh, just, uh, I mean, he didn't go there for that deer. If he didn't come to his name, he was a free-range deer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you beat me to the punch on that one. Hey, Billy, 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 come over here, Billy. Billy, 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 bang. Yeah. If it don't come to a bottle, it's going down. (laughs) Yeah, but now now this guy here... um, uh, he claims that, uh, let's see, he grew up in the Bluegrass State, uh, carpenter, lived on a plot, and he had uh, cameras and stuff set out there, the trail cams. And back in July, he said uh, this guy just popped out of nowhere. I'd never seen anything like him before. 
He was still in early velvet, um, so he went back and hunted this guy. He said uh, he saw him at different parts of the day for nearly six weeks. It wasn't like he just oh. hopped over the fence and he ran two miles and the guy saw him and shot him. So this oh. guy had been escaped for a while. I mean, all the way through velvet. And uh, so, uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why when we deal with captive wildlife and moving animals around and CWD, you know, that is that is one of the things those those deer in those high fence areas do escape. Trees get knocked oh, yeah. down, things happen, you know. So but once they get out, it's free range. Yeah, that's you know that's what I said. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people when they first read the story, they didn't read the whole story. They just saw the headlines yeah. and the first part, and they went, "Oh, well, that guy jumped over the fence." He saw it. He ran home, well, got his gun, and then shot it in a field, uh, you know, five hundred yards here, away. Here, here's well, the argument. Been out that long, you had to hunt it. Yeah, well, exactly. Here, here's the argument that I make. Everybody uses throws around the term pen, and I've said this a million times. I grew up on a ranch. Let me describe to you what a pen is. A pen is a enclosed structure, a small enclosed structure that you use to control the animal. Okay. There you go. That's my definition of a pen. When you have yeah, a like place, cows in a corral. Uh, well, when you have a high people, when I look at them and I say it's, a, well, he shot it in a high fence place. Okay, what's the size of it? Because if it's yeah, over if it's several t- thousand acres, yes, sir, you're still out there hunting. Them. Uh, thank you. I, I, I hunted a place one time that I didn't even know was high fenced until they told me. Uh, down in Pearsall, Texas, because it was twenty thousand acres. Yeah. Uh, and high fence. So, uh, well, I had a friend. Twenty thousand. How many acres do you hunt in an average year? I mean, do you hunt fifty acres, a hundred acres, uh, twenty-five yeah, acres? Acres. That's usually about it. Yeah. Well, so, I, I had a guy that came into the shop one day, and some of the guys, the normals that were there, shooting. He was shooting. Didn't say a word. They started in. We started in on the whole high fence conversation and everything else, and they just bashing it. Literally, this guy turned around and looked at all those guys and said, "I will." he had a place in Missouri. I will bring you to my 330-acre high fence that I have in Missouri. And he looked at all these guys who were very good deer hunters and said, you will not sniff a buck in three days. Because they know that you're always and, there. I mean, it was like nearly a bar fight broke out <laughs> in the shop. But he looked at them and told them. And this is the way I feel about it. You're taking an animal that is superior at knowing his surroundings, and now you're making oh, yeah. his life that much more easier. I mean, <laughs> he, know, he knows every tree in that wood. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. They get the pattern. Well, I saw the one in uh, in there where the, where the uh, gal shot that solid white albino-looking deer. Yeah, mm-hmm. up in Georgia. Yeah, yeah up in Georgia. I, I tell you, if, if I seen that, I just don't think I could shoot it. Oh, I could. Mm. I'd drop that I sucker in a heartbeat. I would. I'd, I'd have to let it walk. Nah, hell no. I'm going to kill I it. Just, well. they, they say they're like one out of 100. It wasn't an albino because it didn't have the pink eyes, but it was. they called it the pie ball. Yeah, so bang, done, but, deer, bang, it's done. Nice carpet. Pie ball is generally because of a lot of inbreeding. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. I look at it this way. I know they always say because it's something special. I go, no. It's not something special. That's the weird one. Get that one out of there. Yeah. That, that's it all tastes the same. Nature, exactly. Nature has a way of weeding those out, and every once in a while, you're it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're the it guy does. with it. You're the weed. You're the weed puller, man. So just. Well, I sent y'all a picture this morning. I had five of them out in my backyard this morning on my little deer garden I planted about two and a half weeks ago. Nice. Nobody wants to see that trash, okay? <laughs> well, I don't know why you want to sit in here and send stuff and tease everybody like that. Quit it. Stop it. No, share. Did, is, that the, is that the picture you showed me? Is that the one you showed me uh, when you had it? Or who was that? The one that Toby sent? Or who, what, what was that picture? No, of? I don't. That one, the that two was deer. Vince with Toby's. Oh, is that what that was? Oh, okay. Share. Well, believe me. We love this stuff. I'll look for them when I get off the air. Listen, when they're ground up go. and made into steaks and jerky, they all taste the same to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. I'm, I'm sorry. There's no such thing as the sacred white buck to me. Because you know what? I'd have to let the white one go, I think. I'm going to tell you this, Jim, and you can agree with me on this. We'll end this right now before we go to break. Every deer I've ever shot in my life turned into a white deer. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you cut it up and you put that white in white paper. I thought it was more of a a brown with a couple of dark marks across it from the grill. You put the white uh, butcher paper on it. You write what it is, and you put it in the freezer, and there it is. That's it. All right, Jim. Stay warm up there in GA, man. We got to go. We got to take a break. Okay, bye. It is the Big World Outdoors. We're brought to you by Brandon Ford. We'll be right back. Here we go. Welcome in. Few minutes left. Big and wild outdoors. Bring good. Dr. Swindle. Steve Austin. Uh, Vince is hanging out in the hallway, and Bill George is just perusing around. But we have Shane on the phone. Good morning, Shane. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How y'all doing? All right. Uh, I guess Bill George did he call you and tell you that we're going to put you on the radio, so no cuss. <laughs> I got you. All right. Are you sure? Yes, sir. All right. Now, Shane, uh, of course, Shane, we talked about uh, Shane last week when uh, he was the gentleman who discovered the artifacts inside of the alligator uh, up there in uh, Mississippi. And what's the name of your processing place? Is it Red? Red uh, Red Antler Processing in Yazoo City, Mississippi. Yeah, Red Antler Processing. So if you ever get out there and uh, uh, do you do deer and stuff, you do all that stuff? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much any wild game. We do gators, He's in Mississippi. Frogs, deer. Wait, did you just say frogs, too? Did you include frogs in there? Man, any wild game. Pretty much anything except armadillo. For some reason, we can't process them. Do, yeah. do you do any nutrients up there? We have done some. A lot of raccoons. Let me tell you, I, you, when you talked about it and you told me about the story last week, and I, I've eaten a lot of Shane's product over the years, uh, many years ago, but uh, he he was actually once here in Florida and uh, did a lot of good processing here. Yeah, so. That's right, and uh, and I know that uh, you've always been around it and you've always been good at it, but you got to tell us, I know you've probably been all over the Internet and everywhere else and all that stuff about this, but uh, if people don't know, uh, what it was a 750 pound gator is that what it was? Yeah, uh, the gator came from Eagle Lake, which is right over near Mississippi River, outside of Vicksburg, Mississippi. And um, the curiosity uh, first came to me when I read an article 
of someone in South Carolina finding some dog tags inside an alligator's stomach. Right. So this alligator was really old. You could tell his scoots were really worn, and he was just all beat up, looked like an old warrior. So I said, you know, he's been eating for a long time. I said, let's see what's inside his stomach. And um, when we cut it open, it was, you know, a lot of fish scales. There was hundreds of persimmon seeds, uh, probably from raccoon he ate or a possum or something. And then I felt something real heavy in the bottom. And it, you know, first what appeared to me to be a some type of fishing weight. Um, but, and then we also found uh, about a half point of uh, what turned out to be an atlatl point, which is a weapon that the Indians used to throw an arrow uh, way before the bow and arrow was ever even yep. invented. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Changed the world. So, um, you know, and I, I disregarded the other one as a fishing weight, but after we posted the pictures and, and uh, Brian Broome with the Clarion Ledger did a write-up about it, he knew an uh, archaeological expert here in Mississippi who looked at the items and identified the material that the, the weight was made and said it was an Indian plummet and was not, you know, normal to this area. He said it was probably traded down through the tribes from the Great Lakes area. So it was really cool, and, and the story went viral. I mean, I even heard I was on the uh, Channel 8 News down there in Tampa. Yeah, yeah you were. You were. Yeah, yep. you made it all the way down. You made it nationwide. But the the thing is, is uh, these things are like well over, I mean, these are thousands of year old. I mean, they're saying anywhere between five and 6,000 B.C. Yeah, so that that's pretty pretty rare you know and so obviously the first thing you think of how to get in there right and you know everyone's oh he ate an indian (laughs) well i don't think this alligator is you know thousands of years old but um i did find some other stones and rocks inside his stomach so my best best hypothesis is that where if he's scooped up those rocks that those artifacts have to be laying in the same area. That's sure. just my guess. And, and, yeah. and the funny thing is that down here, I was alligator hunt one time when there was a guy, he turned around, he had a, a metal pole with a bunch of tines on it. He would go stick it in the mud and he'd listen. He could hear an Indian artifact when he hit it with that and then he'd leave it stuck in. What? Then he'd swim underwater and he'd go down there with his hands and get it. Dude, that sounds like those old mechanics that used to take a screwdriver and stick it on the engine block and put yeah. it there. There you go. Yeah, your number five cylinder's tapping. I mean, I mean, shoot. Uh, but, now, now, did you keep the objects or did you donate them to uh, no, a museum? Or actually, uh, I actually returned them to the tag holder. I kind of felt like you know he brought the gator in sure. to have the items, and um, He's getting a live mount done of the alligator, and uh, I believe he said that he's going to hold on to those items for a while and then possibly donate them to uh, some museum. That's awesome, man. Well, I mean, I guess from now on you're going to be checking them stomachs of anything over 11-footer, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, of course we process hundreds of gators every season, and and I do cut into some, but look, let me tell you, my stomach, my nose can't hardly handle it <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> is it worse it's than a swamp rabbit in the summertime? Yeah, really. <laughs> it's something about, you know, a dead animal inside of a dead animal that just, you know, yeah. turn your nose. No. Well, no. I, I look at it this way. You were blessed to find Indian artifacts and not that poor 70-something-year-old guy that got written, beat right. up over in Slide right. L. So, so, I mean... Uh, uh, found some other cool things. I found a 45 caliber bullet that had not been fired from a gun, 
so you wonder how that got in there um one i cut open yesterday had an armadillo in there and some deer hooves so he's eating the big and small animals no yep. kidding man that's crazy uh well i mean uh, how much longer you got on your gator season up there uh the public water season is closed it's only 10 days long and but the private season uh actually runs through the, through this weekend so We'll wrap it up this weekend. And then yeah. you're going to shift over and start cleaning them deer. Get ready. That's right. October 1st, both deer. season opens in Mississippi. Deer are easy compared to gators. Yes, yeah. they are. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's like peeling a banana or trying to crack open a blue crab. Totally different. <laughs> well, we're right up at the end of the show today. And just want to turn around. Thank you for calling on in. At, and, and, uh, uh, let us know if you find anything else interesting. Oh, in we'll there. call you again soon, man. It's yeah. nice to have a Mississippi boy back on the phone, man. All right. Right. We'll talk to y'all soon. Have a great one. See All you, right. Shano. You. All, All right. right. It's the Bigger Wild Outdoors Squad. Have a great weekend, you guys. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Slick, everybody. Be Who safe. called in, Jim, everybody. Have a great old weekend. We'll see you next Saturday right here on this very radio station. Go do it. Hit the button.